You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning, everyone. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2 this morning. If you've got your Bibles or electronic devices, whatever you use to access God's Word, then just go there this morning and we're going to start from Acts 2, verse 1. Um, but as you may not know, we're running a series on the book of Acts, so it's my turn this morning to take up the second um, lesson this morning. So, Holy Spirit uh, comes at Pentecost. So we'll start at verse 1, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that were separated and came to rest on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who speak uh, Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even in my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy and I will show great wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a tremendous verse, isn't it? Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth is a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Hallelujah. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because it's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life 
and you'll fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generations. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's tremendous, isn't it? You know, when you read God's word, there's such inspiration there, isn't there? Even reading the word of God itself eh, speaks very deeply to us this morning. Pentecost, what does this mean, they were asked, um, as the, the Jews were around at that time and they heard others speaking in tongues and, 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 and things that they understood and yet they weren't of that nationality. What does it mean? Well, the answer is, a, a, as Christian, it's a Christian festival, Pentecost, is a Christian festival celebrating the descent of the Holy Spirit on the disciples after Jesus' ascension, held on the seventh Sunday after Easter. Many still ask the same question even today about Pentecost. What does this mean? All this tongue stuff and all this Holy Spirit, the dove, what, is, what does it all mean? And they're still asking that question even today. I'd like to look at three groups. I'll be as quick as I possibly can this morning. First of all, the God-fearing Jews, the ones that were coming in from every nation. Secondly, the disciples, and those who were waiting, the 120 who were waiting in the upper room. And then lastly, to the wider inhabitants of Jerusalem, in other words, the people who were just gathered around during that time. So first of all, the God-fearing Jews. They were there to celebrate celebrate what's called Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. In Exodus 34, 22, it says, Celebrate the Feast of Weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And then in Deuteronomy 16, 10, it says, Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing corn, then celebrate. Celebrate and rejoice before the Lord your God, you, and here's a phrase that's familiar in this passage, and it's lifted from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 16.10. It says, you, your sons and daughters, your maidservants and your manservants, maidservants, and the Levites in your towns, 
and the aliens, oh, or foreigners probably more accurately, the fatherless and the widows living among you. In other words, no one was to be excluded. It's amazing that, familiar words. Yeah. What a time of celebration. The, the, the word of God says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. The festival looked back at God having delivered out of Egypt, gave Moses the law at Mount Sinai, and 50 days later, God descended on the mount amidst fire, smoke, thunder, lightning, and the sound of the trumpet. We were talking about that at the prayer meeting this morning. It's a study in itself. If you go through the word of God and figure out, find all the references to trumpets, it's amazing what you would find as you research that theme. Passover had taken place 50 days earlier, and the Lord Jesus was acutely aware of these rituals. John introduced him as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. John further said, I saw the Spirit come up down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. The one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So this Jesus, the one who would take away our sins on the cross, would be the same one to baptize us with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that tremendous this morning? Now at Jerusalem at this point in time, the visitors were about to see the fulfillment of many prophecies and centuries of waiting. According to tradition, the Jews would have spent time and nights reading the first five books of the Old Testament that we would know. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. They would also read the book of Ruth during that time of festival. Genesis really means the, the book of beginnings, where God says so often, let there be. Exodus is a book of redemption, and God says, let my people go. And he's still in the business of letting people go even yeah, now. Yeah. Leviticus is a book of worship and a book of holiness. You know, if, if my understanding of Pentecost is right, it's not a free-for-all. It's not, let's let our hair down and have a good time um, amongst each other. There's a time for holiness. It's things that are done indecently and in order, even amongst, amongst Pentecostal. Numbers was a book of journeys. It was about discerning the command of God. And then lastly, Deuteronomy, the book of reviews. A review of the past with an eye to the future. I think that's amazing when you couple it in with the Feast of Pentecost and the, the local Jews are celebrating that on an annual basis. Well, they're celebrating the God who says, let them be, the God of beginnings, the God of the Exodus who says, let my people go, the God who is a God of holiness and expects us to worship him in the spirit of holiness, a God of, of who helps us to discern his command even on our journeys as we go on with him. And then a book of reviews, healthy review of the past with an eye to what has God got for me next. It's amazing, isn't it, when you see these things? And of course, Ruth, um, it said that Ruth um, uh, saw Naomi, rather, returning to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. She carries family tragedy with her and describes her testimony as follows. I've gone away out full 
and have come back empty. But thank God, when she came back, it was the time of barley harvest. It was the time of Pentecostal fullness. And those of you who know that beautiful story of Ruth will know what the final outcome was at the end of the story. It's always good to go to the end of your story. Sometimes when you're reading a book, we sometimes cheat, don't we? And we sometimes flick forward to the end of the story and see what happens. And we often do that with the Bible. Sometimes I've got to do that. You know, when I'm getting a bit down, when I flick over to Revelation, I see God wins. God wins. <laughs> so secondly, um, for the disciples, those who have walked and talked and served him over just over three years in his public ministry, Beside, despite all that, they didn't always get it. And sometimes that encourages me because even though sometimes I don't always get it, God's not finished when we get it. And he's still opening things up. There's times I come to the scripture and I see a verse, I think, well, how often have I read that? And I've never seen that before. But that's because we are um, frail uh, vessels of clay and sometimes we don't always get it. But God, by the Holy Spirit, as we wait upon him, as we spend time in his presence, he says, Ian, I've got something to show you today. And sometimes I look at my Bible notes. I do regular um, structured Bible readings every day. But sometimes I never get to the notes. And I just find God just saying something to me as I open up his word alone. Previously in John 7, 13, the disciples... It says no one would say anything public about Jesus for fear of the Jews. Again in John 20, 19, at Jesus' post-resurrection appearance on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together within the doors locked, sorry, they had the doors locked for fear of the Jews. You get that? Sometimes fear can take a real hold of our lives. You know, I'm not going to say nothing about Jesus. Workplaces used to be an awful place to be. If you, if you, when I trusted the Lord Jesus as my Savior and Lord, I'll not tell you some of the things that the guys used to write in the toilet cubicles about Elijah and all the rest of it. When I came to know Christ and started to tell folk that I knew the Lord, but they would write some horrible things on the toilet cubicles. And it can bring a certain degree of fear in your life and you say well I'm not going to say too much more then if that's the impact it's having but that's exactly what the enemy of our souls wants us to do to drive us to say nothing of Christ but even in that situation Jesus the resurrected Lord stood among them and said peace be with you yeah. and how many times has he come and stood with you in your moment of fear and he says to you peace be with you Jesus, at, before Jesus' ascension, he said to them, don't concern yourself with timing, schedules, etc. It's the Father's business. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Ten days later, during the Feast of Weeks, the disciples were all together in one place. Now, I was sharing with Tom, it's amazing when you you know, we're talking about sometimes you can read scripture for a long time. And as a young Christian, I used to think, why did they have to wait 10 days? That's an awful long time. But I think when you're young, you don't really have an awful lot of patience. But when you see what was happening from the second day of Passover to the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, it was to be seven weeks of seven 
plus the, a day. So it was seven sins, 49 plus one day. 50 days after Passover. So there was order all the way through. And Jesus is saying, I want you to wait. Uh, and it was 10 days because the 10 days, it was 40 days post-resurrection. Jesus moved around and then obviously 10 days after. I thought that was fascinating. And um, as a young Christian, I would never have realised that. So suddenly a sound of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire to, and, and it came to rest in each one of them. And all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Each of them was filled and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I've got to say I struggled personally for a number of years with this whole issue of speaking in tongues. Some might say, is it necessary to speak in tongues? Others would say it's not. But there should be some evidence of a change in our lives. But I waited, actually, it was about eight years. Pastor Len, I think, must have had a real, a real hard time with me. Len, is it, how, how is that that he's speaking in tongues? But Len would often say, give me somebody who is committed to Christ. He's who's walking the walk, yeah, he's talking the talk, amen. before somebody that will be mad keen to yeah. focus over the one speaking in tongues. And you're right. Yeah. But it was a problem for me for eight, some eight years. I had known tremendous anointings of the Holy Spirit. I remember Pastor Magnus Doe was praying for me one time, and he was staggering around under the anointing that had been coming upon me. He says, how is it you're not speaking in tongues? <laughs> But Magnus was a great character, a lovely man, a gentle giant of a man. But you know, I was down at the, one of the conventions at one point, and you know, some of you here might remember Pastor Fred Douglas. And uh, Pastor Fred Douglas had a tremendous way with him. He had a tremendous sense of humour, but not that that was the thing. But he said to me, and you're doing all the right things, you're worshipping the Lord, but you're just doing it in the long, wrong language. He says, you want to begin to speak in tongues, he says. You need to exercise your faith. He says that the word of God says, and they began to speak in tongues. And he says, the devil will tell you, oh, you're only using words that you heard somebody at the church saying. That's all you're doing. You're only a copycat. But I found as I stepped out in faith and began to speak the words that I had, then the rest followed on nicely and gently. I say gently behind that. And the beauty is that I wasn't, I don't know if I thought perhaps God had to take me by the scruff of the neck and make me speak in tongues, but no, it wasn't like that at all. It was all about partnership. It was all about moving in faith and using what God had given me. And it was lovely. See, God will never force his way into our lives, but responds to faith as it becomes active. We were saved. It says that you are, it is by grace you are saved through faith. Amen. And in 2 Peter 1.21 it says, No prophecy of scripture came about by the prophets by their own interpretation, but man spoke from God as they were, men spoke from God, sorry, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's a cooperation um, with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14.32, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. God will not force you to do anything that against your will, you, we need to cooperate with God. Cooperation with the Holy Ghost, even in speaking in tongues. 
Never forget the main purpose for being filled with the Holy Spirit is to receive power for service. Jesus said you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So what happened in Peter's experience? Remember Peter, it says in Acts 2.14, then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice. He wasn't any longer cowering in the corner, gripped by fear, but he stood boldly with the eleven. Notice the unity there with the other disciples. No longer that trembling person. He used to put his foot in it, didn't he, Peter? He was an awful man for... I was reading in Luke's Gospel where uh, the tremendous experience of Christ's transfiguration when, remember, the glory of God came down. It was almost like the, the glory of God couldn't be contained, contained in Christ's physical frame. And, of course, I think it was Peter said, eh, well, we make, um, well, we make three shelters here, I think. And you know, the, the amazing thing for me was that God's glory never departed. He came in the cloud and he, he said, this is my beloved son, hear him, listen to him. I think it was he said. And how many times you've been in a meeting where something is said and done that almost produces what you would say, an exit point. Uh, I remember Pastor Samuel McKibben was saying at one time at Leadside Road in Aberdeen, they were having a meeting and there was new folks coming in. I'm not saying that, that you are like that here. I'm trying to do a jest here, backtrack. But, uh, <laughs> But um, this gentleman had come into the Sunday morning service and of course people were striking up choruses and reading scripture and sharing testimonies and he thought, oh, well, you, you must have to come here with something. So he starts singing in the middle of the service, she'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. <laughs> but thankfully, this is a mark of good leadership when you would steer the service back along the right track. And when Peter used to utter these things, it didn't stop the hand of God. God's hand still moved. So don't be scared. He said, what if I get it wrong? Pastor, what if I get this wrong? Well, that's what leadership's here for. We're here to work together as a team and encourage and bless and help one another. Even make mistakes from time to time. So Peter suddenly filled with the Holy Ghost, stands and boldly proclaims the word of God. What a change. And I guess if we threw this service open this morning, it would be those who would stand up and say, no, I used to be a shy wee thing, but no, when the Holy Ghost came on my life, he's given me a boldness. Mm. I couldn't have put two words together. I think Smith Wigglesworth was like that. I think his wife used to do all the preaching, but suddenly when the Holy Ghost came upon his life, then he had that. Uh, eloquency and he was able to speak God's word under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean for the wider inhabitants of Jerusalem? That's the third and last point. Pentecost will always attract a reaction. Early days they were called the tongues people or the holy rollers. There would be some excesses that would be there. Never forget we have an enemy of our souls who will seek to try and destroy anything lovely that God is seeking to do. So again, we have to be aware that um, when people's emotions start to run away, then again, you have to come with correction and you have to come with some direction. Opinion. Some made fun of them. Oh, they've had too much wine. 
Certainly that could be the case when a person is full of alcohol. It could, you could say that they have a changed personality. Some people, when they've had alcohol, they become jolly and, and merry. Other people become aggressive and nasty. So it changes their personality. So they were maybe thinking to themselves, these, these guys have had far too much to drink. Yet Peter could remind them that the pubs weren't yet open at that time in the morning. Instead, Peter, under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. I'll pour out at your sons and your daughters, your young men and servants and handmaids, and in Isaiah 44, 3, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. You see here that God, by the Holy Spirit, takes his word and breathes upon it. Isn't that tremendous? The word of God is so important to us, even in the midst of a Pentecostal blessing. Never, ever lose track or sight of the word of God. He will always honour his word. Remember, folks, if it's not in the book, then we want it. If it's in the word of God, then we want to find that. And the Holy Spirit will breathe upon the word of God, the inspired word of God. Peter's preaching, he says, um, the whole counsel of God is, 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 is shown here. It says, Jesus was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And with the help of wicked men, you've put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This was no surprise to God. Man would murder Jesus. Their hands would be covered in blood. But we see the consequences of the sinless life of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You know, I love Jesus with all of my heart when I think of what he went through on my behalf on that cross. He who did no sin, neither was there any guile in his mouth. Yet he became sin for us that we would become the righteousness of God through him. But, and you know how much I love the word but in scripture, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Why? It says because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He had done nothing worthy of death. And I was trying to imagine the, the enemy of our soul with all these cohorts taking out all their notebooks and saying, we're bound to have something on this Jesus. There's bound to be something we can bring up. It would certainly have loads of stuff eh, in my life that the devil would be able to say, I remember that day you did this and you did that, or you didn't do this when you should have done that. But they had nothing on Jesus. The hymn says, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor over the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Christ arose. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are witnesses of the fact. If that was taken to a court of law, there was 120 of them that could have stood as witnesses to the fact of the resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Yeah. What is it, Scripture says, this thing wasn't done in a corner. 
The Holy Spirit has poured out what you have seen. He is exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And that is what he is pouring out on you right now. Moving on, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. The sword of the Holy Spirit had done its work. The word of God had sliced through every pretense, every barrier, every iron bar. It was broken through by the word of God. Isn't it wonderful when lives are cut to the heart? It was, it, the word of God had gone beyond head knowledge to heart changing. I think there was one of the characters in, in the Acts of the Apostles said to Paul, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. It obviously hadn't went any further than here to here. But when God's word gets to your heart, gets to the core of your being, how can you stay the same? Head knowledge changed to heart changing. And the question came up, what shall we do? Repent and be baptised, every one of you. And that suggests an individual experience. In the name of Christ, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, only he is able to save our souls. Yeah. For the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you, to your children, and for all that are afar off. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't it tremendous? When the law came at Sinai, it said that 3,000 died. That's tremendous. When the people decided to build, eh, they got engaged in idolatry. But when, the, when it came there, 3,000 died. How lovely in the New Testament we see the Holy Spirit coming and 3,000 are saved that day. The ministry of life takes over from the ministry of death. The amazing fact is that during this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as we mentioned earlier, the Jews were celebrating Shavuot, the five books of the Bible. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit brings a genesis. Can I suggest that this morning? The Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit brings a genesis to your experience and mine this morning. God still specialises in the new. He is still saying, let there be in your life and mine this morning. I don't know about you, but I'm open for God to do new things Amen. in my experience. I'm open for God to say, Ian, I've got something else for you. I'm not finished. You're maybe not coming up for 65 years of age. But you know what? I've still got things I want to do in your life. And there's new beginnings. There's new dawning of new things that is for you. I want to say that to you this morning. Anyone within my earshot this morning, can I just say that humbly under God, that God has new things for you. Regardless of what circumstances I'll tell out to you this morning, God has a Genesis experience through the visitation of the Holy Ghost. Pentecost means that he is going to initiate new things in your experience, regardless of how young or old you might feel this morning. The outpouring of the Spirit brings an exodus to our lives. Things that abound the people of God to Egypt. God says, let my people go. 
And this morning, God is saying in your life and mine this morning, things that perhaps from our past that are bringing us bondage and bringing blockages in our experience, God is still the God with the power of the Holy Spirit to say to your life and mine, let my people go. Yes. Amen, Lord. Come, Lord. And then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit brings a Leviticus. It brings a sense of holiness and it affects our conduct. You know, I think all of us who were having our appraisal in the church leadership team, we realised that, you know, we can be the most gifted person, maybe I wouldn't say that, but we have still got flaws in our characters. Amen. You can be the most gifted person here this morning, but if you've got a flaw in your character, there's a mad, there's something there that is, is being a hindrance. And God is saying, from, from the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, he is, he is able to bring holiness. Yeah. He is able to change your conduct and your character this morning. Isn't that lovely this morning? Yeah. He's not finished with you yet. Amen. He hasn't thrown you in the trash can. He hasn't given up on you because he is going to move by his spirit in your life to bring you into a lovely new dimension of holiness. Yeah. Without holiness, we'll never see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after God, well, they will be filled. God's, God wants to reveal himself to us. Amen. As we engage in this discipline, as we come under God, come under his authority, then we begin to see new things. I've seen it before in scripture. God has opened things up for me, and I, and I have to say that I thank God that he's coming at certain points in my life. And I've got to say, that it's, it's no easy, it's no easy. But to come under God's authority yeah. and Amen. suddenly you think the revelation starts to come when God begins to show you the secrets right. of his heart. The psalmist could say the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Yeah. As you spend time in his presence, yeah. he will open his treasure uh, and show you the secrets that he has hidden for many years. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit brings a numbers experience enabling us to discern the command of God. This is the way, walk ye in it. Sometimes we're not sure. Sometimes we see with eyes darkly. I was away getting my eyes checked this week. Um, to my shame, I hadn't been for about seven or ten years, but the optician was very gracious for me for driving. Ev's not here, but she thinks I'm leading them for reading as well. <laughs> Pride's an awful thing, isn't it? I was getting my eyes checked. Last of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, brings a Deuteronomy experience, a healthy review of the past with an eye to the future. You know, as a church leadership team, we had a meeting recently, and we looked back over the first year of Tom and Jesse's being here. We have to be, we have to look at, review how things are going. But it's a healthy review. You know, I, I'm not given to introspection you know, where I sit and I go, oh, woe is me, I'm, I'm useless, I'm no good, God's never going to be able to use me. That's not healthy. That isn't healthy. But we've got to be realistic. But with a healthy view of where we've been, say, Lord, didn't quite tick all the boxes there, but with a, uh, an eye to the future, looking to God, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. So, winding things up then, Pentecost, what does this mean? Very simply, God is not finished with us yet. Amen. Amen. He is still available to fill us with his Holy Spirit, still creating new things in our lives and experience, still setting people free, equipping us for service. It was said of Naomi that she went out full to Moab, but came back empty. When she came back at the time of barley harvest, she came back at the time of Pentecostal fullness. And God is still in the business of filling us with the Holy Spirit. Now, why should we be filled again? Quite simply, because we leak. (laughs) The the tense of that, so be filled with the Spirit, is a continuous tense. So it means be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because God knows how bad we are at leaking. And he fills us again and again with his Holy Spirit. The God who was not finished with Naomi or Ruth, he is not finished with you and I today. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The question is, are we ready to